Hi, and welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. This is Robert Rand, your host for the day, coming to you from sunny South Florida. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we posted our last episode. We've been having some great times at IRCE and other trade shows. We got to host the Jet Rails Bourbon Barbecue uh, up at, at a great venue uh, in Chicago, and really you know, thankful for clients and partners and friends in the industry that got to join us. Speaking of which, I got to catch up a little bit with, with a friend, George, one of the co-founders of ShipBob. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about how merchants can compete with two-day shipping. Uh, you know, Amazon's taught everyone that, uh, <laughs> that the products should uh, be at your doorstep before the blink of an eye. And uh, it's definitely caused some logistical issues around the e-commerce industry in recent years. So George has been kind enough to give us a, a little bit of his time today to tell us a little bit about it. Um, George, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, thanks for having me on, Robert. Um, I'm uh, George Wojciechowski. I'm co-founder of ShipBob. Uh, we've been in business five years. Uh, we came out of YC in the summer of 2014, and our goal has always been to give the new generation of e-commerce merchants the same tools, reach, and scalability as the bigger players in e-commerce. And you know, I've been waiting to ask you, uh, and I, I never have before, but as a Robert, I've kind of wondered how the name ShipBob came about. There's a lot of shipping companies that, that use the word ship in the name, so you know exactly what industry you target, but uh, where'd Bob come from? Uh, well, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. Um, initially, uh, we wanted a different name uh, when, we, when the company was starting out. Uh, it was Ship Tiger, but that URL was taken. And so we came up with a uh, placeholder name for the time being initially, uh, which was Bob. And uh, we got so busy after a while that the name stuck. And in our early days, in our first iteration, uh, back in 2014, uh, the hot space was the, you know, being in the Uber of. So, you know, on-demand shipping, on-demand, you know, house cleaning, on-demand. There was all sorts of startups that were on-demand. And uh, we were, too, in the initial phase where cu customers would take a picture of items that they would want shipped, and we would dispatch a courier to bring those items back to our office where we would package it up and ship it out for them and charge them a pickup fee and the cost of postage. Um, but what was happening in those days is that uh, people weren't shipping cookies to grandma or letters to, or like small packages to their friends and family on a regular basis. What they did want shipped was, uh, awful stuff to package and pick up like golf bags, TVs, artwork. And so we, we, we started telling clients that Bob, uh, stands for bend over backwards. So bend over backwards for you. And we literally were on a regular basis in that we would be dispatched to go pick something up. and would have to maneuver it down like three flights of stairs and into a car and then back to our uh, office where we would package it and then drive it over to FedEx or UPS or USPS. Wow. The customer is always right. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I had a feeling that there was going to be a good explanation. I didn't know it was going to be quite that good. That's amazing. Uh, I'm really glad I stumbled into that one. Um, you know, let's um, talk a little bit about uh, traditional e-commerce fulfillment. So, you know, it sounds like in, in your history, you've gone through some iterations and, you know, figured out that, uh, that there were use cases um, for businesses to sell items and then to, to have them uh, transmitted, uh, to have them delivered or couriered uh, that, uh, that needed to be met. 
Um, certainly, as more and more of commerce in the United States goes into digital commerce and e-commerce, um, you know, I, I know that most businesses have started out warehousing uh, some of their own goods or, um, you know, working with a more traditional uh, footprint. Um, what's your experience with some of that evolution with where merchants perhaps have started their journey uh, into warehousing and uh, holding on to goods uh, and fulfilling orders and, and where it started to lead in the last few years? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we were lucky enough to get in very early on, on the trend in which uh, platforms like BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Squarespace, Shopify were really able to democratize the ability to take an inspired idea and take that business online and start it up and have a cool website or whatever in, in a matter of a couple hours. Uh, and, and that technology uh, kind of formed the thesis of why ShipUp was started. Um, so like I said earlier, we started five years ago and our goal as a company was always to provide the new generation of e-commerce merchants with the same tools, reach, and scalability as the bigger players in e-commerce. Uh, you and I and everyone knows that when you order something from Amazon or Nordstrom or Jet, Walmart, any of the bigger brands, uh, you don't have to think twice about the cost of shipping because it's almost always free and it almost always is going to arrive in a day or two. Um, and that's because these companies can spend hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars in their logistics infrastructure. Uh, well, if I'm an e-commerce merchant with a Shopify store or a big commerce store, and I'm selling vegan handbags on the Lower East Side of Manhattan or homemade pomade in Austin, Texas, I'm at a distinct disadvantage compared to what the standard is in e-commerce, meaning I'm usually shipping uh, from one singular location if I'm not, I may be doing it myself when I'm starting off, or at some point down the road, I may use the local fulfillment center. But almost always, uh, it's a location with, uh, you know, large square footprint and low cost per square foot, and uh, and uh, you're you're shipping from that location to all the different shipping zones around the country and around the world. So a lot of your shipments are not local; they're zone four, five, six, uh, seven, and eight. Um, and how ShipBob addresses this problem is in two ways. One, uh, we feel like we've built a great technology that allows e-commerce merchants to have a source of truth for all the goings on in the shipping logistics part of their business. Uh, it integrates with a lot of, uh, most of all the relevant e-commerce platforms out there. And secondly, we own and operate our fulfillment centers around the United States. So we have fulfillment centers in Chicago, uh, at Los Angeles, San Francisco, Dallas, and uh, now just recently opened up Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And that allows us to work with our merchants to distribute their inventory around the United States, and thus making the majority of the shipments the ones who choose to optimize their, uh, optimize their inventory around different locations. Um, it allows them to basically have the majority of their shipments is zone one and zone two and arrive to their customers within a day or two. So it's providing a better customer experience experience for these merchants' customers, as well as lowering the cost of uh, shipping for the majority of the shipments because they're all 
very local, zone one or zone two the majority of the time. Yeah. And how does a merchant figure out where they should, you know, when you've got that logistical need, you know, someone that's going from self-shipping or shipping from their retail locations in one region or, you know, some, some other more natural uh, startup footprint in e-commerce, how do you figure out where their goods need to be? Because, you know, you don't want to send a bunch of product to, let's say, San Francisco when it's really not going to move well in that region. Yeah. Uh, this is where communication with merchants really, um, you know, optimizes how we plan on how to distribute inventory. First and foremost, we'll look at the last six months of uh, shipping data and we'll evaluate uh, with the merchant where their orders are going. And based on that information, uh, we can make recommendations as to which FCs and what percentage of their inventory should be distributed uh, to different regions. In addition, uh, we'll have a conversation with the merchant about what they are planning in terms of their marketing. And if they're, you know, focusing on, for example, like the Northeast of the United States or Canada during the winter months because they have a cold weather product, um, we'll take that into consideration as well. Um, but normally the first go-to is to be able to evaluate the last six months of shipping data and then make a recommendation based on that and then have the conversation and say, hey, what's coming down the pipeline for you? Uh, are you doing anything unique in certain regions that we should know about? And then we'll come up with a recommendation to them on how to uh, best distribute that inventory. Interesting. So in the case of your team, you're connecting directly with their e-commerce platform, um, helping to really pick up the order for fulfillment, you, you're already helping them to figure out where the, those items should be warehoused in the network so that they're already offering faster shipping at, at better prices. I imagine that your team, because you're such bulk shippers coming out of your fulfillment centers, that you're getting some discounted rates as well that, that you might be able to pass on some savings. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you're, you're shipping on behalf of a lot of folks. Yeah. So we've got over, you know, over at this point, 2,700 clients and distribute, you know, around 30 countries around the world. Um, so that does afford us to have great relationships with USPS, FedEx, uh, DHL, UPS, and all the uh, subsidiary services that they have. Uh, when a customer comes on board, we're able to look at their previous order history, the amount of volumes that they've been. Uh, shipping out over the last three to six months, as well as what they plan for the future and uh, pass on a competitive uh, shipping rate plan to them based on uh, the amount of activity they, they've been doing and what they expect to do. Very interesting. Obviously, Amazon has their own warehousing infrastructure, FBA, fulfillment by Amazon. Um, they, as most folks in the industry know, command a, a certain size, um, maybe not the same customer service as a team like yours, or I'm sure that there are other differentiators for customization and, and for unique things like, you know, kidding or, or dealing with, with wholesalers with EDI. What are some of those things that you run into that, that you think, you know, while Amazon might be okay for uh, you know, for some needs that would push a user to maybe a, a, a more uh, a more personalized service like yours or, you know, a more defined service? Yeah, I think it all comes down to are you building a brand or are you selling a commoditized product? 
Um, at the end of the day, um, and Amazon is a very useful tool for thousands and hundreds of thousands of merchants around the world. But at the end of the day, um, when you're building a brand and you need things like custom unboxing experience, um, uh, certain branding within the box, um, if uh, you want to most importantly have a relationship with that customer and have your customer identify your product as something distinct and unique, um, when you're on a big marketplace, that's not afforded to you. More often than not, that email address for that order went through, uh, you never get to see. So you, you know, the customer buys your product on a mar on a large marketplace. That's that marketplace's order. It comes in that marketplace's box. Um, and uh, you have no relationship with that client for future sales. They would have to go through that marketplace or they'll just have to remember your product. What we're finding out is that the most successful businesses are ones that have uh, you know, a unique branding that customers identify with. And the way to consistently build that, build from that foundation is to have a relationship with the customer, to be able to have their email address, let them know what's going on with your product or any special offers and things like that. Um, in addition, like I said earlier, having some unique collateral or marketing about how the package arrives, what it looks like, look, what it looks like and what's inside. And brands having control over that and creating an image uh, or, a, uh, or a campaign based on their brand identity, I think is super important uh, now more than ever for brands to distinguish themselves by utilizing things like that. But ultimately, I think for me, Personally, the most important thing is having that relationship and being able to capture that email address. So as your business grows, you're able to keep your customers informed um, of everything going on with your brand that you want them to know. And, you know, it's interesting that in hosting, very much like some users might go to Amazon FBA, we certainly run into Amazon's uh, AWS cloud hosting. Uh, and, you know, we happen to, uh, you know, to provide service uh, in that realm. Um, in some cases, you know, we get users that vehemently would rather be in our data centers than have us place them on AWS. Uh, that I guess at best, some merchants see Amazon as a frenemy, <laughs> you know, that it's someone that they feel compelled to interact with in order to um, to provide for shoppers in order to be where they need to be when they need to be. But when you can get service elsewhere, that's going to be more cost effective, more user friendly, better service. Um, you know, I don't think there's many departments in Amazon that are known for their service to the sellers, to the merchants um, for going above and beyond. And I think that's where Amazon certainly leaves a, a lot of room for, uh, for the rest of the market. And, do you run into customers that maybe mix and match your service, uh, you know, your warehousing with drop shipping or with some of their own warehousing? Do, are you some or do you normally come in as the be all end all, or are there those use cases where you're part of their logistics? Yeah. So you know, going back to what we were just talking about with Amazon, Amazon and other marketplaces are a relevant avenue to sell your product and to, you know, as an additional revenue channel. But if you're building a brand and a brand identity, you need to have that independent website, that independent uh, uh, opportunity to connect with your customer. Um, I think nowadays as businesses are growing, um, additional sales channels 
are more popular than ever. And it's not you, it's not uh, out of the ordinary for a merchant to have, for example, a big commerce store um, and then also be selling on Amazon or Walmart or some other marketplaces in addition to their main store. Uh, I think that it, uh, as businesses grow, uh, they, you know, these marketplaces present an opportunity to, you know, have additional eyeballs. You can't argue with the fact that these marketplaces have millions of people looking at the products that, you know, under, you know, in, in different search categories, when you type that into, to, uh, into the absolutely. Amazon for many shoppers, you know, maybe more than I would choose, uh, is the first place that they search for product. Yep. So, you know, where there are still many users that search Google first or, um, they go to other places in, you know, location, 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 you have to be where the customer is, uh, in order to capture certain market share. Yeah. And one of the things that personally that I like about marketplaces like Amazon or Walmart is that the review system is reliable. When I'm buying a product and I'm unfamiliar uh, with it, I feel like one of the things that they do really well is to be able to give, uh, you can read through reviews and the reviews are usually pretty spot on. Um, And so that's one advantage that marketplaces do have that if you're just running a, uh, if you're running a like a big commerce or WooCommerce store, uh, people can look into your product and there are places where to get, you know, reviews on, on the products that you're selling, but it doesn't compare to just like the mass amount of input that these marketplaces get. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, just sometimes having enough reviews to look at where, you know, one merchant may have a handful, but Amazon may have dozens or hundreds or thousands of reviews on a product. So, yeah, but it also comes down to how you want your product seen and viewed by the, the by the customers, meaning that, you know, it may not it may not be advantageous for you to have a product that's, for example, the vegan handbags that we were talking about earlier. It's great um, if you are. Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're selling them on, on your e-commerce store, but do you want that product, you know, being compared with, you know, two dozen other potentially similar products and merchants choosing the one that, you know, is, you know, $1.70 cheaper or something like that? A lot of merchants want to avoid that race to the bottom and want to create a unique identity that uh, customers can identify with versus just entering uh uh, a marketplace where there's a lot of different products that are very similar. Um, and oftentimes consumers just choose the one that is lowest priced. Absolutely. And there are a lot of knockoffs that come pretty quickly. So if you hit a streak of success in Amazon, whether it's Amazon making the product or someone else uh, that you know decides to just make a complete knockoff, even you know using some of your branding, it can be a, a real challenge to fight those those kinds of inevitabilities. So when you are a brand, obviously selling directly through your own site, through some of your own channels is, is always going to be the healthiest uh, opportunity. And I know we've covered it a little bit in, in some of our earlier podcast episodes. Um, you know, and, and so in terms of the logistical side of that, so you might have a user that's selling in multiple sales channels that you're fulfilling for. Um, and then are there cases where the orders get split? Some of it ships from your warehouses, some of it ships from uh, maybe their retail locations or, or their warehouses where they, they might have some purpose to to split some of that? Yeah. 
Um, we don't see that as often where, where like an order comes in and perhaps the merchant is using a, uh, you know, their own retail store to ship out, you know, one of the SKUs while another SKU comes from us. What does happen is if uh, uh, a SKU is uh, diminished in one of the FCs, but an order comes in for a SKU that we do have inventory of, um, but we're out of inventory in a certain other SKU, it'll just get shipped from the nearest fulfillment center. Um, but we don't see it very often where uh, an order comes in and there's inventory in two different locations with two different distributors or fulfillment partners or whether it's the merchant's own bricks and mortar location and us and them fulfilling uh, the same order separately. Because that probably brings up the price. Now you have to send out two shipments with two costs from whether it's UPS or FedEx or USPS or DHL or whatever. Exactly. It definitely eats into margin. Uh, yeah. what, what, we, what we do see is a lot of merchants who come on board with ShipBob and they have a lot of SKUs. Um, but the 80-20 uh, the rule holds, holds true where 20% of the inventory is 80% of their revenue. So they'll store their top you know, five or 10 SKUs with us because they know the majority of their orders are those SKUs. And then the slower moving SKUs, they'll hold on to themselves. And when those orders come in, they might self-fulfill them because they come in once every couple of days or so. But the fast moving SKUs where you're seeing like hundreds or thousands of orders per day, they'll warehouse that with us within our uh, fulfillment center network and, uh, and, and charge us with getting those out to the customers. Yeah. And uh, drop shipping has been a big topic in recent years that Lily and I, I know if there are items that I know if I order from Costco, they're not shipping from Costco, they're going to ship from the manufacturer, uh, from the brand. It's going to, you know, whether it's EDI or some other, uh, you know, some other method of moving data around, um, you know, back to that split order situation, something that comes up on occasion? Yeah, um, it comes up on occasion. I think drop shipping is still fairly relevant, but I see that being uh, uh, kind of diminishing a little bit only because of the reason that I think merchants more often than ever before are interested in creating brands, like we talked about earlier, with a unique identity and are not as often selling uh, commoditized products that is just, you know, trying to, uh, you know, market something and capture the arbitrage thousands of times over. Um, I feel like that space, personally, I feel like that space, that formula has become very, very, very competitive and it's not as profitable as it used to be. And so we're seeing merchants who do want to aspire to be e-commerce merchants and start their own business, not looking to that route as much as they did maybe in 2015, 2016, and are instead looking to create a brand. You know, I, and I would tend to agree that uh, even in message boards, places like Reddit, uh, I see a lot of folks asking about drop shipping because they're trying to get into it. Um, I, I think in some ways, you know, they <laughs> you know, they, they think it's easy. Um, you know, they don't have to put up a, a large uh, investment in order to do it. Um, so, uh, you know, but like you say, it's it's been done. It's become a little saturated. And in some ways, I think it may almost be like being an, an Amway or an, an Avon salesperson that you, you know, you sign on. Maybe they have some good product, you know, perhaps. I mean, that's yeah. that's up for debate. But 
Uh, but that that's true of, of just about anything. Uh, but now, where's the market? You're going to sell to friends, to family, to you're going to sell through social media. There's lots of other people doing the same. So where does it end? I, I'm with you. The building a brand is absolutely, um, you know, where I think businesses that are going to stick and thrive for years, you know, where the winners are going to be by the percentages. There's yeah. always going to be someone that figures out a good model for something like drop shipping. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah, there was a sliver of time. Yeah, uh, it worked really, really, really well. And then all of a sudden it's like got super saturated. And I think consumers, too, are a little bit exhausted from products that they may view as like commoditized, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, products, you know, that people like to buy value and things that they personally identify with. And it's harder to do that when there's, you know. 300 different businesses selling the same tchotchke all doing a uh, different marketing strategy on, you know, on Facebook or something like that to, to essentially same, sell the same product, but there's really no identification or uh, connection to the, to what the brand is trying to identify. What, 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 what consumers are identifying with about the brand? Yeah. I mean, look, you, you want good brand affinity. <laughs> You've got to stand out from the crowd. You have to be able to, you know, in, in essence, um, t tell a good story, you know, make people feel like you're a reputable company to work with. You're an expert in, in your field. So there's content, there's, uh, you know, social good. There's all sorts of things that you can do in different brands, different businesses, obviously take different yeah. approaches and, and choose different things to pick off the list uh, that, that's going to build that brand affinity. But um, uh, I'm with you there. And, you know, we've talked a lot about shipping what happens when it comes time for returns because that's sort of the bane of most shipping and fulfillment operations that uh you know that's where things can get a little bit uh costly and uh you know a little out of order yeah so i feel like that's the next frontier right now there's a lot of exciting companies uh getting you know venture backed money uh to uh, address the problem of returns um we've always had an internal solution um it's not the most perfect solution in the world, but it's been very functional and it's worked for for you know last few years. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know the way that returns will work is that customers will take a white labeled link from our uh, from our dashboard, uh, be able to put it on their big commerce or WooCommerce or Squarespace or Shopify store, and uh, when customers need to return product, they can click on the link, type in their information, and it creates a PDF or return label on the spot. Um, and then they have to print it out and then drop it off at a local post office or FedEx, UPS, whatever. Uh, that solution is fine, and then it goes to the nearest ShipUp fulfillment center to be processed. That solution is fine, but there's also a lot of innovation going on. We have a, a partner in a company called Returnly, um, which is uh, uh, one of the uh, more exciting companies out there right now in regards to returns. Uh, they have a cool function which uh, you want to return something uh, from a merchant's website, they'll refund you the money immediately before even the product gets back to the fulfillment center and thus allowing uh, for less cart abandonment, meaning people take their $240 and instead of like, you know, sending it back and waiting for the return to hit their credit card, they'll get refunded the money immediately, which will then um, allow them more often than not to go back to the same website and, and buy a product that they do want that or that may work better for them. There's also a really innovative company called Happy Returns, 
who we're really happy to work with. Um, and uh, they're doing something really cool in which they're creating uh, kiosks in locations around the United States, you know, college bookstores, department stores, things like that, where customers can very easily use their software, get a return label and drop it off somewhere locally where the return can will eventually be picked up and processed. So there's a lot of innovation going on in the field. We've got a solid solution at ShipBop, but we're, we're also partnering with and keeping an eye out for other solutions that uh, are moving the needle in terms of progress, and how to make returns more optimized. It's really interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I'm a partnership guy at heart, so uh, mm-hmm. I, I always, yeah, I love to see when good technology comes together, good service providers come together. At, at the end of the day, it takes a village. Um, and I, I think that any strong mid-size or, or enterprise e-commerce organization has run into that, that you can try to really keep, uh, you know, keep as lean as possible when it comes to software and vendors and such. But, uh, you know, if there's ROI to be had, um, if you can improve your processes, improve your bottom line, have happier customers, honestly, you know, it's all about how, how do we give a good user experience? How do we get this stuff out to them fast? How do we handle customer service effectively? Uh, I, I'm with you 100%. And that's a really good point. Um, you know, one of the way you can keep on top of that, and one of the things I'm super proud of that we do at ShipUp, you know, we own our entire tech stack. We've built our WMS in the fulfillment centers. Uh, we've built our dashboard. Everything is vertically integrated. So that allows us to listen to what our merchants are telling us. Like, hey, we need, when we hear something enough that merchants have a specific need or they'd like to see something, uh, we're able to either one, build it out ourselves because we own the tech stack and we have the engineers to be able to add on an additional service. So that has been very useful to our merchants over the years. But as you said, create a partnership with somebody who's uh, doing something innovative that maybe we don't want to build out or we don't want to own and their services are very complementary to what we're doing. Uh, it's funny, like I come from the finance industry and if you're a trader or a bond trader or something like that, you have a Bloomberg terminal, which is an end all be all to everything that you need to basically do your job function, have research, be up to date on the news. There's nothing like that in e-commerce and there really shouldn't be, but it stresses the importance because there's nothing like that to be able to rely on partnerships that are complementary to your product. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the term headless commerce and I actually, I, I believe that's true. I think, you know, Doing something really specific in the supply chain or in the e-commerce value chain is a great benefit. And then creating partnerships that are, are, are complementary to what you're trying to achieve, um, I think, is the way to go. There's no one source of truth for everything. I feel like finding the you know three, four, or five different cogs in your value chain and 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 and, and integrating them is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we at JetRails, I, I just recently launched a partnership with Big Commerce, which a couple of years ago would have been surprising for a web host to partner with, uh, you know, with a SaaS platform of that nature. But um, I, I always love unlikely alliances, and yeah. um, at, at the heart of it, their push into headless commerce. Um, you know, having you know work with partners to create uh, plugins extensions that will connect their SaaS e-commerce platform with front-end systems like uh, WordPress or Drupal gives us a great way to support their users, um, especially those that need more customization, that need more flexibility, that um, the benefit from those kind of, of headless applications. I know that at uh, Shopify Unite, um, there were some good conversations around GraphQL and headless uh, 
you know, certainly Magento's releases, even, um, you know, we do a lot of work with Magento at, at JetRails, but, uh, you know, they've done a lot um, to allow users to, to go headless. Um, that we're definitely seeing that, that trend in the industry. And at the same time, you know, we also from time to time run into folks that, for instance, they've written apps for these systems like Shopify and BigCommerce and, uh, you know, those need to be hosted somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, our mission critical hosting, our, our white glove service starts to stand out um, because if, if there's any blip on the radar with those apps, those sites are negatively impacted, right? You know, that they don't you know, that, that uh, your e-commerce site might be a brick because your custom app or your, you know, the app that you got out of an app store isn't, uh, isn't really hosted in an environment that's being well monitored and maintained. That's um, so, you know, so we've run into these interesting things in the industry where it's not what you'd expect, but companies need to come together around solutions, around the end user, uh, both the, the merchant and the shoppers and, and what's going to work best, what's going to you know, get through the entire process. So always yeah. really interesting looking at all that. Optimism. Always interesting and always evolving. Um, and that's what's interesting. There's new ideas coming into the uh, the marketplace of ideas almost on a weekly basis. Um, so it's an exciting time. Yeah. And with that, I hope you'll come back on at some point in the future and we can look at some new innovations and changes because we know they <laughs> come down the pike real fast. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me and uh, share some information with our listeners today. Um, and uh, any final thoughts? No, uh, it's always great to talk with you. We always have great, uh, wide ranging, and candid discussions, and I'm happy to do it uh, anytime, either on a podcast or in person, and uh, continue uh, continue our partnership and relationship going forward. Awesome. Well, to our listeners, we really appreciate you tuning in for another episode. Uh, Feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're in in dozens of podcast networks. Uh, We will uh, have videos up as well um, from this particular episode. And and feel free to follow us on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever your favorite social media is to stay tuned for new episodes. We've got a bunch that are going to be coming out over the next few weeks. And uh, we love comments. We love your feedback. So if if you've got ideas, if you've got a great guest for us or um, something that you think, uh, you know, we we can add to uh, our notes or or our episodes, by all means, uh, we love to hear from you. Thanks and uh, happy selling. Thank you, Robert.